Amen. Amen. And Lord, that's our prayer this evening. We thank you for bringing us together again this evening to be in this class, to read this book, Christina's Journey, written by John Boyan. This book that has been reading, that has been written to lead us into better understanding of your word. We thank you for all the wonderful lessons that you have taught us while reading Pilgrim's Progress Part 1 and this Part 2 of the book. Thank you for all the wonderful treasures you have revealed to us. Thank you for the assurance we have that even tonight you will lead us into even uh, more beautiful treasures. We pray, Lord, that it will please you to send the Holy Spirit to fellowship with us. Please send the Holy Spirit to fellowship with us, to, to be with us in this class, to open our eyes eyes to see the things you want us to see, to open our ears to see, to hear the things you want us to hear, to open our mouths to say the things you want us to say, to open our hearts to understand the things you want us to understand in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your grace upon our lives and we pray that when we conclude this class, we would have become even richer and even more blessed than ever. We thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you to you all for joining us, and it's always a, it, it's always a uh, it's always a joy to see uh, the numbers at gospelbestreader.com, and also for uh, members of the Readers Club who are with us now. Thanks, thanks to you all. Let's read together our permanent memory verse for this study. Our permanent memory verse is Hebrews 11:13. Uh, if you can unmute, please do so. If you're at gospelbestreader.com, uh, you should be on page two now. Page two of the PDF on on our site on our homepage. Page two. Okay, let's read together. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died, died in faith, not in having faith. received the promises, but having seen them afar off, we are assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Oh yes, exactly. And that should be our own confession as well. Yesterday, we started reading chapter 8 of this book, uh, which is titled Arrival at the Palace Beautiful. First, we uh, we engaged with the place that Mercy called a losing place. This same place, uh, after climbing the hill difficulty, they got to the arbor, a place of rest. At this same place, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress Part 1, lost his scroll. And at this same place, Christiana lost or forgot her bottle of spirits. She forgot her bottle of spirit that she was given uh, for her to take along on the journey. And Mercy remarked that that must be a losing place. Mercy then asked Mr. Greatheart, why is it that uh, in times of ease, we tend to lose things? We tend to lose things. And, and of course, that was symbolic of what happens to Christians when in good times, we just tend to lose God, not to be as watchful, not to be as prayerful, and thus losing uh, privileges that we should gain in the spirit. Uh, then again, after that, we read of mercy and our boys, sorry, Christian and our boys and mercy confronting the giant. Grim the giant confronted them, told them that they could not go any further, tried to scare them with the lions and wanted to, to stop them himself. But thankfully, uh, they had the company of Mr. Great Art who with his sword, which we identified as the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, defeated Grim the Giant. And the Holy Spirit led us to talk about David and Goliath, led us to talk about the Amalekites that 
frightened those spies except Caleb and Joshua. And the Holy Spirit encouraged us yesterday that Christians can slay the giants. Although there are giants on the way, God will surely give us victory if we look with the eyes of faith. And then we read of Mr. Great Heart departing, leaving the pilgrims when they got to the palace beautiful. And Mr. Great, and when they uh, when they expressed their preference for Mr. Great Heart to stay longer with them, Mr. Great Heart said, "Well, you you made an error when you asked the interpreter for a companion. You did not ask for a companion to go with you all the way." And from that, we learned a lesson that we are we are to be specific in our prayers and. Yeah, James wrote saying, you have not because you ask not. Uh, Jesus said, keep asking until your joy before. Jesus said, men ought to pray and not faint. And that hymn writer wrote saying, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And then when they got to the palace, beautiful, of course, they were welcomed warmly. Uh, music was played on account of Christiana and Mercy and Christiana's voice. And then Christiana, when it was time for them to sleep, Christiana said, look, I want to sleep in my husband's old room. And we and we also reflected on that. How is it, although the Bible says in, in Psalm 103 that when we die, we are like flowers of the field, we die, and our place remembers us no more. How is it uh, that Christian's old room was still remembered in the palace beautiful, so much so that uh, they could take Christian and Mercy and the boys to that room? And the Holy Spirit led us to, uh, to understand uh, that although physically when we are taken away from this world, we are no longer there, uh, something else takes the place that we would ordinarily occupy physically, but the things we have done, the work we have done, they are recorded in heaven, and more than that, even the saints on earth who were blessed by the work we did, we continue to remember. And uh, Dr. Gumali was with us yesterday when he also made mention of that hymn, only remembered by what we have done. Only remembered by what we have done. And, and, and that was a challenge to all of us that, well, we should bear in mind that the things we do here, they do matter. Yes, we will live and some other people will take our place, our places, but still we must remember that the works we do, they will be recorded in heaven. The book of works will be opened along with the book of life. And even in this world, the church will be blessed and those who have been touched by our good works will never will never forget and that's uh that's a challenge to you and to me as well now we get to the part where mercy had a dream and what was that dream about uh, we are now on page eight i'm going to scroll to page eight now for those in the virtual studio and if you are gospelbestudio.com please just scroll to page eight that's where we are now we want to start reading from Dreams in the Palace Beautiful. I'm hoping that uh, Sister MC and Sister Tutu can alternate the reading tonight. So, Sister MC, if you can start, Dreams in the Palace Beautiful, then we discuss it, and then the next session, the next section will be taken by uh, by Tutu. Thank you. So, so are we all ready? Gospel best dog. If you are there, you know you can always join us on WhatsApp and contribute or ask your questions. Okay, sis. Thank you. Dreams in the palace beautiful. Christiana said to Mercy in the morning when they were awake, Christiana, what was the matter that made you laugh in your sleep tonight? I suppose you had a dream. Mercy, so it was, a sweet dream it was, but are you sure I laughed? Christiana, yes, you laughed heartily, but quickly. Mercy, tell me, Mercy, tell me your dream. 
mercy. I was, I was a dreaming that I sat all alone in a solitary place and was sad at the hardness of my heart. Now, I had not sat there long, but I thought many were gathered around me to see me and to hear what it was that I said. So they listened and I went on sadly about the hardness of my heart. At this, some of them laughed at me, some called me foolish, and some began to shake me about. With that, I thought I looked up and saw one coming with wings towards me. So he came directly to me and said, Mercy, what's the matter? Now, when he heard me make my complaint, he said, Peace be to you. And he also wiped my tears with his handkerchief and clad me in silver and gold. Ezekiel 16, 8-11 He put a chain around my neck and earrings in my ears and beautiful crown on my head. Then he took me by the hand and said, Mercy, come after me. So he went up and I followed till we came to a golden gate. Then he knocked. And when those within had opened up, he went in and I followed him up to a throne upon which someone sat. And he said to me, welcome daughter. The place looked bright and twinkling like the stars or rather like the sun. And I thought that I saw your husband there. So I woke from my dream. But did I laugh? Christian, laugh indeed. And well, you might see yourself as well. For you must give me leave to tell you that it was a good dream. And that as you have begun to find the first part true, so you'll find the second at last. God speaks once, yes, twice. Yet man perceives it not in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, in slumbering on the bed. Job 33, 14 to 15. We need not, when in bed, lie awake to talk with God. He can visit us, on us while we sleep and cause us then to hear his voice. Our heart often wakes when we sleep and God can speak either by words, by proverbs, by signs and similitude, as well as if one were awake. Mercy. Well, I am glad of my dream, for I hope before long to see it fulfilled, making me laugh again. Christiana, I think it is now high time to rise and to know what we must do. Mercy. Please, if they invite us to stay a while, let us willingly accept their offer. I am the more willing to stay a while here and grow better acquainted with this needs. I think prudence, piety, and charity have very beautiful and serious faces. Christiana, we shall see what they will do. Okay, thank you very much. And, and now we find mercy already because she had that wonderful dream already saying, "Look, uh, okay, okay, let's let's put the, let's get the context right. Remember that this." Uh, this is the account of the first night spent by Christiana and Mercy and Christiana's boys in the Palace Beautiful. This is the first night they will spend and they are requested to be put in, in Christian's old room. Now, this first night, this first night, Mercy had a dream. And now, I do not, I, I hope that we can remember what has gone before now. If you remember very clearly, one of Mercy's concerns when they left the city of destruction and were going to the narrow gate one of her concerns was that she was not specially invited can we can we remember that she was concerned that she was not specially invited to come on the journey uh, 
Christiana was invited. Christiana had a dream because before she left the Palace Beautiful, she had that wonderful dream where uh, she was told to embark on the journey where she saw her husband being uh, being rejoiced over in heaven and so she got that invitation in her dream uh, mercy never received that invitation and she was concerned that she would not be welcomed at the narrow gate but indeed she was welcome but now in the palace beautiful our first night there she had this wonderful dream and when she awoke she said to to christiana look if they want us to stay a while here let us willingly accept she was so happy and that must that, that, must, have, that must have been a, a special place a special place for her. But, but now let's look closely at the dream that she had and obviously she loved that in her dream because obviously she and christina shared the same room and christina had her love in her dream mercy did not know that she laughed out loud but she did laugh as confirmed by christina and of course, do you think this was a good dream? Look at this dream. Uh, do you agree with Christiana that it was a good dream that Mercy had? And look at what Christiana said about dreams. Is it? Uh, I don't know if there's anybody here who wants to share experiences with us about whether God speaks to us in dreams. Look at what Christiana said. Is this true? Christiana said, uh, this is on page 9, We need not, when in bed, lie awake to talk with God. He can visit us while we sleep and cause us then to hear his voice. Our heart often wakes when we sleep, and God can speak either by words, by proverbs, by signs and similitudes, as well as if one were awake. Is that the true experience of God's children, even in the New Testament age, that God still speaks to people in clear terms like this, or sometimes in proverbs, in dreams? Does God speak to us still in dreams? Does God still speak to us in dreams? And what can you make of mercy's of mercy's dream? I mean, I once had a sermon by uh, by a preacher that I respect, and he had said in that sermon that yes, uh, God spoke to to the prophets and to the to the patriarchs of faith in the past in dreams, but that in the age we are now, God only speaks to us through the Bible through the Holy Spirit through the Bible. That the age of dreams. That age has gone. Is that correct? Does God still speak to us in dream? If you read that the, the portion reference there, Job 33, 14 to 15, where Job said very clearly that when slumbering falls on, on men, uh, God appears to them in visions of the night. Is that still the experience of some believers uh, today? If anybody wants to share an experience with us, please do feel free to do so. Uh, if you're at gospelbearstudio.com, you can call into the studio or or chat with us on WhatsApp, and we'll be glad to to benefit from your experience. So, uh, if you want to share experience about dreams, please do so. Or if you want to talk about the specific dream that Mercy had, do you agree with Christiana that it was a good dream? Do you agree that it, that this dream represents uh, the invitation to Mercy herself to come on this journey? And what and what would you say? about this invitation coming to mercy long after uh, Christiana received her own invitation. So if anybody has any experience about dreaming to share with us, okay, to go ahead, please. Yes. I believe strongly that God will speak to us through dreams. There are many means by which God speaks to us, but yeah. um, specifically through dreams, God still speaks to us. 
children. And um, I want to agree with Christiana that Nessie's um, dream was a good one. Mm-hmm. So the kind of um, reassuring. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. I, I, and if I, I love the word he used. It was it was sort of reassurance to Mercy. This was Mercy who had never received a special invitation to come on the journey. And although she was welcomed at the house of the interpreter, uh, she was welcomed by Mr. Greatheart. She was welcomed by the palace beautiful. But she she never until now uh, received that special invitation. You know to know that oh uh, I'm now seen as as a pilgrim in my own right for for a while she had been under under mercy's wing so to say but now she herself had this dream and and i mean what a very clear dream is, is it the case that dreams appear to us as clear as this from time to time my, my answer is yes my answer is for those who have the gift of dreaming they find that from time to time uh, they just find some dreams so clear so clear and you know you just wonder um, i mean for me there was a time i had a dream uh, that i mean i had a dream about a person and i was just always wondering how, how can this be what's the relationship here until that thing came to be and i mean just keep wondering at god those who have the the gifts of dreams what happens to them is that they come to know that god is king over everything over everything because he tells them the things that are going to be uh, if you speak, it tells them what's going to happen. Like if you're waking up now, it tells you what's going to happen that very day, and going to happen that same way. And then you know that God indeed is King. So God speaks to us in dreams, and we should not discount that. Uh, admittedly, not everybody has that gift, but for those who have the gift, they should continue to celebrate it and thank God. And those who don't have the gift will have definitely other gifts as well. But if you all pay attention, like that song, God has something to say. Listen, listen, and pay full and pay full attention. And look at sometimes the dream is as clear as could be, but sometimes it speaks to us in parables where when you wake up, you still have to go to God in prayer again and say, Lord, yes, I had this dream, but I don't know what it means. Please interpret the dreams to me. But in the case of Mercy's dream, I think that was a very clear dream where she she sat down somewhere, some people were looking at her and even laughing at her, making jest of her until she saw that being appear to her that wiped her tears away, clad her in silver and gold, put a chain around her neck and earrings in her ears, a beautiful crown on, on her head. Uh, I mean, that's the assurance that uh, the Lord told her in that dream, don't worry, I'm going to take you to, to the celestial city. Uh, at some point, she said that it appeared that she also saw Christiana's husband there. And I think Christiana said something that we should not gloss over here uh christina said i tell you that it was a good dream and that as you have begun to find the first part true so you will find the second part at last you see uh, the second part of the dream was that she was taken into the celestial city clad in silver and gold a chain around her neck earrings in her ears and a beautiful crown on her head and that's the assurance that uh, that uh, that Christiana would get eventually to the celestial city. I think one lesson we can learn here is for God to speak to us more. And and I firmly believe that anyone who would truly call on God to say, Lord, please speak to please speak to me about this thing. It may not be through dreams. God may choose to speak in other ways. Maybe through another brethren, through another pastor, through the Bible. 
and I'm not talking about a prophet who come to you and say, look, God sent me to you. I mean, sometimes you're just seated somewhere and you are hearing a message and it's just a message for you. And sometimes you just dream yourself and you're surprised because God has chosen to speak to you. I mean, it's a privilege when God chooses to speak to us. Uh, it's one of the gifts we should covet. And, but not that we should lose sleep if we don't, if God chooses not to speak to us in dreams, but we should celebrate the God who speaks to his people in dreams. Any other contribution there before we're going to go on to the next part? The next part, I think another thing you should take away from here is, you know, that God cares about each of his, each of the pilgrims, each of us, he cares about each of us. And at some point, everybody would have that testimony about God's call. Uh, and I hope one day we have we'll have a session devoted to that. At what point did you come to know that God is calling you, that God has identified you as His own? Because at some point, each Christian must get to that place where, oh, this is the point that I got to know that yes, I have a special and direct relationship with God. And I, I must say, this is the point for mercy. It must be in this dream that you became aware that uh, she has a special place in God's heart. Wonderful, wonderful dream for, for, for mercy there. Look to the next part. We are now on page 10. Page 10, now titled Teaching Them. Remember that this story is not only about Christian and mercy, but also about Christiana's boys and uh, little boys. Uh, they were at the time this story was written. And, you know, there are people who should be taught they are they are just coming to the church newly so let's read about teaching them please pay attention to the matters that the people in the palace beautiful spoke about when they were uh, trying to teach uh, christiana's boys about the christian faith okay to try to read that good okay thank you yeah teaching them so when they were up and ready they came down and asked one another about their race and whether it was comfortable or not. Mercy. Very good. It was one of the best night lodgings that I have ever had in my life. Then said prudence and piety, if you can be persuaded to stay here a while, you shall have what the house affords. Charity, yes. And that is a very good will. So they consented and stayed there about a month or more, and became very profitable to one another. And because students wanted to see how Christiana had brought up her children, she asked leave of her to, to chastise them. So she gave her free consent. Then she began with the youngest children watching. Students, come then. Can you tell me who made you? Things. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Good boy, and can you tell me who saved you? Things. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Good boy again, but how does God the Father save you? James, by his grace. How does God the Son save you? James, by his righteousness death, blood, and life. And how does the God, uh, does God the Holy Spirit save you? By his illumination, by his renovation, and by his preservation. 
then said students to Christiana, you are to be commended for the way you have brought up your children. I suppose I need not ask the rest these questions. Since the youngest of them can answer them so well, I will therefore now apply myself to Joseph, the next youngest. Come, Joseph, for that was his name. Will you let me chastise you? Joseph, with all my heart. What is man? Joseph, a rational creature, so made by God, as my brother said. Students, what is supposed by this word says? Joseph, that man by sin has brought himself into a state of, of captivity and misery. Students, what is supposed by his being saved by the Trinity? <coughs> Joseph, that sin is so great and mighty a tyrant that none can pull us out of it of its clutches but God, and that God is so good and loving to man as to pull him indeed out of this miserable state. What is God's design in saving poor men? Joseph, the glorifying of his name, of his grace and justice, it is see, and the everlasting happiness of his creation. Who then are those who will be saved? Joseph. Those that accept his salvation. Good boy, Joseph. Your mother has taught you well, and you have listened to what she has said to you. Then students addressed Samuel, who was the eldest but one. Come, Samuel. Are you willing for me to criticize you? Oh, yes, please. What is heaven? A place and state most blessed because God dwells there. What is hell? A place and state most woeful, because it is the dwelling place of sin, the devil and death. Why would you go to heaven? That I may see God and serve him without wearying. That I may see Christ and love him forever. And that I may have that fullness of the Holy Spirit in me, which I can by no means enjoy here. A very good boy, and one that has learned well. Then she addressed herself to the eldest, whose name was Matthew, and said to him, Matthew, shall I criticize you as well? With a very good will. I asked them if there was ever anything that had an ex existence before God. Sorry, I asked them if there was ever anything that had an existence before God? No, for God is eternal. Nor is there anything except himself that had a being until the beginning of the first day. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. What do you think of the Bible, Matthew? It is the holy word of God. Is there anything written there that you do not understand, Matthew? Yes, a great deal. What do you do when you come across passages that you do not understand, Matthew? I think God is wiser than I. I pray also that he will please to let me know everything. What do you believe about the resurrection of the dead, Matthew? 
I believe they will rise who were once buried, the same in nature, but not in corruption. And I believe this for two reasons. Firstly, because God has promised it. And secondly, because he is able to perform it. Then said prudence to the boys, you must still listen to your mother, for she can teach you more. You must also diligently give ear to what good talk you hear from others. For your sake, they speak good things. Observe also, and that with carefulness, what the heavens and the earth teach you. But especially, be much in the meditation of that book which was the cause of your father's becoming a pilgrim. I, for my part, my children, will teach you what I can while you are here. I will be glad if you will ask me questions that tend to godly edifying. Well, yes, thank you very much. And I will deal with the matter of catechisms and teaching uh, people who are new in the faith about the things of God, about the Bible. And now, uh, different churches call this uh, kind of training uh, by different names. In some churches, it's called discipleship uh, training. In some places, uh, they call it uh, lessons that you take before before confirmation, confirmation classes. Uh, the Catholics use this expression more, catechism. And it's all about teaching the basic doctrines of the faith, the basic teachings of the faith in clear and concise definitions. Uh, if you have somebody who is trying to catechize the other person, that person is try, trying to let the person know the exact answers to some of the questions uh, that are important for every believer to know. And you see, some of these questions, they appear very basic, but it is because many believers cannot answer them that is why uh, they fall into error that is why they are led astray by many false teachers because we are not able to answer these questions uh, very clearly for example uh, prudence started here by asking james uh, who said who made you who made you and the answer from james was god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and I mean that is telling, really, because uh, there are people who say, "Oh, it is God the Father who made, uh, who made me." And you see, when you have you have responses like that, then it goes with the matter of the Trinity. Uh, whether uh, some will say, "Oh, the Trinity means there are three gods," and some will say, "Look, was just God the Father? How can it, how could it have been three persons who who made me?" Uh, but it is one and the same person manifesting in the different in the different beings again. Prudence asks him, who saved you? The same answer, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, if I may ask you as well, who saved you? Uh, would you say, okay, God the Father? But uh, we have to understand that God himself, the one true God, manifesting as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, performed different roles as Father, as Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And you see, the teaching of the Bible to children must start from these basic principles. That's the point being made here. These basic principles and then prudence asks him then okay how does god the father save you by his grace 
by his grace because he was the one who put the plan of salvation into place he was the one who decided to accept the sacrifice of jesus christ as propitiation for our sins how does god the son save you say by his righteousness by his death by his blood and his life so jesus was the person who said okay god the father you have you have agreed to accept uh, the sacrifice of a sinless person okay i offer myself uh, being sinless and then how does god the holy spirit save you by his illumination meaning by shining his light by his renovation by remaking us and by his preservation that is by ensuring that we continue in the path so um, let's ask from all the teachings that we have read uh, which one comes to you as one that requires greater emphasis in today's church context from all the things that prudence discussed with christian boys which one uh, comes across to you as one that requires greater emphasis in the church today we are spoken about how we are saved how we are saved uh, there is also that question that prudence asked about about man he said what is man what is man and joseph answered a rational creature so made by god as my brother said you see that part of the catechism that says which we emphasize that man was made by god uh, is so important you see if we all continue to affirm that man was made by God, then many of the errors and fanciful thoughts going around today uh, will not even be there at all. Man was made by God. And you see, everything flows from that. If man was made by God, what does that mean? Man ought to obey God. Man ought to serve God. And man ought to follow what God says. And that's very important. Man was made by God. We did not make ourselves we do not make ourselves so these are the teachings that i hope that many of us will find time to even go over them again and again again and again uh, what is hell prudence asks. so for us as christians as well as part of our spiritual discipline these are questions that we must be able to ask with uh, precise with some precision when we're answering them what is heaven prudence asks. a place and state most blessed because god dwells there and that's true. The only reason why heaven is a beautiful place is not because the streets are paved with gold. And we, we have to be able to understand these things and answer it clearly. Why is heaven heaven? Why is heaven heavenly? Why is heaven called heaven? Because the streets are paved with gold? Uh, because the light shines there forever and ever? No. Those may be part of the reason, but basically because God dwells there. And where God dwells, there is beauty. Where God, where God dwells, there is peace. Where God dwells, uh, there is there can't be sorrow. There can't be weeping. Because God dwells there. And you know, if you read the Revelation, it says, and the Lord himself is the light of the place. Is the light of the place. So heaven is a place to be because God dwells there. And what is hell? Prudence asks Samuel. So it is the dwelling place of sin, the dwelling place of the devil, the dwelling place of death. And those are the three enemies of every human being, sin, the devil, and death. And death and hell is the place. So you find that heaven is the place it is because of the person who resides there. And hell is the place it is because of those who are there. In heaven, God lives there. The almighty, righteous, holy God is in heaven. And so that is the place one wants to be. In hell, sin, the devil, and death. And you see, understanding these things matter. And it is very fascinating the way that John Boyan had just put it together, uh, all these things. And I hope that many of us will go over them again and try to understand them. And one other thing I think we can think about here is to commend 
uh, to commend Christiana really, and Prudence did uh, commend her because all the boys answered those questions correctly. They answered accurately, and I think it will give every parent joy uh, to know that uh, the children also fully and clearly uh, understand the teachings of the Bible, and they cannot understand unless we teach them, and that's the hard part, that's the hard part, so so in the hustle and bustle of our world, despite we ourselves being drawn here and there by different engagements and responsibilities, we must remember that our first part of call is to, is to catechize our children, yeah, we have to be uh, the catechists. Yeah, in those days, it used to be priests, and of course, still now, uh, priests who ordinarily have that responsibility. But the first priest for the student is is the parent. And I know how difficult it can be for many of us, pressures of work, pressures from uh, all from different areas as well. But please, let us try to prioritize it. What do you believe about the resurrection of the dead? Matthew said, I believe they will rise who were once buried, the same in nature, but not in corruption. And I believe this for two reasons. It is those two reasons that he gave that I, I found very, very fascinating. The reasons that Matthew gave for believing in the resurrection. And this is what he should ask you as well. Why do you believe in the resurrection? Why do you believe that, uh, that men and women who are dead on the last day would rise? In nature, meaning as they were, because Job said, Yet in my flesh I will see him. Yet in my flesh I will see him. Although worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see him. And here Matthew said, Yes, they will rise in nature, but not in corruption. The same flesh, but that flesh would have been changed. It would not be subject to sin anymore. He said, I believe it for two reasons. One, because God has promised it. And secondly, because he is able to perform it. And I mean, we should also hold on to these answers. In fact, we can use this. To justify your belief in any portion, any promises, any claims of the Bible. Why do you believe this? Because God has promised it and because God is able to perform what he has promised. Okay, any other contribution there on this? Thank you very much uh, for the contribution on WhatsApp as well. Yes, yes, because God has promised it and because he's able to perform it. In fact, that can be uh, like a... Exactly, it can be a formula. It can be a formula for us, a formula uh, to answer many of the questions. Why do you believe this? Because God has promised it, and because He's able to perform it. Okay, I think we can go on to the next part now. Mercy has a suitor. If any other thing occurs to you, please do feel free to to suggest it to us on WhatsApp or in the chat room, or just draw us back anytime. Mercy has a suitor, and this is this is another fascinating part. Of this story, I remember that Mercy had said when they woke up in the morning, she had said, Look, if these people want us to stay longer, let us not resist. This is a beautiful place to stay. And interesting enough, when they woke up and met the residents of the palace, beautiful, they told them the same thing. They said, Look, we want you guys to stay for a long time. And they stayed there for a month and more, for longer than a month. So, you know, Mercy being unmarried. At that time, uh, you know, the people in the house, the people in the area must have known that, oh, uh, a new person has come to town and her name is Mercy. And so somebody became interested in Mercy. What became of this sitter and his interest in Mercy? Are you ready to read? On page 13, we're on page 13 now. Mercy has a sitter. 
Okay, Messi has a suitor. Now, by that time, these pilgrims had been at this place a week. Messi had a visitor that pretended some goodwill towards her, and his name was Mr. Brisk, a man of some breeding, and who pretended to be religious, but a man that stuck very close to the world. So he came once or twice or more to Mercy and made love to her. Now, Mercy was of a fair countenance and therefore was very attractive. Her mind also was always busy within herself in doing things for when she had nothing to do for herself, she would be making stockings and clothes for others and will give them to those in need. And Mr. Brisk, not knowing where or how she disposed of what she had made, seemed to be greatly taken with her, for he never found her idol. I will warrant her a good wife, said he to himself. Messi then revealed the business to the medians that were in the house and asked of them concerning him, for they knew him better than she. So they told her that he was a, was a very busy young man and one who pretended to be religious, but was, as they feared, a stranger to the power of what is good. Mercy, know then, I will take no more notice of him, for I intend never to have a clog to my soul. Prudence then replied that there was no need to give him any more discouragement. Her continuing as she had begun to do for the poor would quickly cool his courage. So, the next time he came, he found her at her old work, making things for the poor. Then said he, what always at, at it, said she, yes, either for myself or for others. And what do you earn in a day, he asked. I do these things, said she, that I may be rich in good works, laying up in store for myself a good foundation against the time to come. When I may lay hold on eternal life, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Why, I beg you, what do you do with them? He asked. Clothe the naked, she replied. With that, his face fell. So he stopped coming to her again. And when he was asked the reason why, he said that Mercy was a pretty lass, but was troubled with the poor conditions of others. When he left her, Prudence said, did I not tell you that Mr. Briggs will soon forsake you? Yes, he will raise up an ill report about you. For despite his pretense to religion and his seeming love for mercy, yet she and he are so different from one another that I believe they will never come together. Mercy, I might have had husbands before now, though I did not speak of it to anyone, but they did not like my conditions. Though never did any of them find fault with my person, so they and I could not agree. Prudence. Mercy, in our days goes little beyond its name. The practice of it sets out in your conditions, but there are few that can abide them. Mercy. Well, if nobody will have me, I will die unmarried, or my condition shall be to me as a husband. For I cannot change my nature, and to have some man who is opposite to me in this, I propose never to admit as long as I live. I had a sister named Bountiful who was married to one of those these idiots, but he and she could never agree. 
But because my sister was resolved to do as she had begun, that is, show kindness to the poor, then her husband first cried her down and then turned her out of doors. Prudence, and yet he professed religion. Isn't that so? Mercy, yes. Such a one he was, and of such as him, the world is full of now. But I am for none of them at all. Hmm. But I'm for none of them at, at all. And, and and this is a very interesting part of the story. And of course, uh, in the manner of John Boyer's Pilgrim's Progress, we must understand that uh, this is meant to be symbolic of some other things in the Christian life. In the Christian life. So, uh, Mercy has a suitor. Mercy and Christian are staying there for a month or so. Uh, Mercy being busy. And then this Mr. Brisk took an interest in her. Mr. Brisk, I mean, what do you want to say about about the name of that man, the man who took an interest in mercy, Mr. Brisk? What does the name say about him? Mr. Brisk. Brisk, 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 just a man who... Yeah, go ahead, too. Yeah, maybe uh, like the Yoruba will say, pa, 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 no time for, <laughs> no time to take time. <laughs> exactly. Like somebody who just wants something and, you know, it's not interested in the deep things. Uh, this is what I want. If I can't get it, I'm just moving on. Mr. Brisk, he has an interest. If he doesn't get it, if any other thing comes in the way, he doesn't want complications. I just want you, uh, he would say to me, I just want to marry you. I just want you to be mine. And then, but he did not want all the other complications for, me, for mercy. Oh, why are you always making all these things? Why Does anyone pay you for these uh, dresses and the things you make? Mercy said, no, I just made, I just make them for the poor does anyone pay you for it? He said, no, I make them to, to of course, to build for myself treasures in heaven. And, and for Mr. Brief, those were complications. He just wanted mercy and wanted mercy for, for that. I mean, there's a statement that I said, uh, so he came once or twice or more to mercy and made love to her. Of course, this is old. When, when this was, was written, it would not mean what we would understand now. To mean that they had sexual union, no. It would mean that he professed love to her. He said to her that he loved her. And that's what that sentence uh, meant when John Boyan wrote it. Uh, for readers today, it would mean something else, but definitely uh, not that. And Mr. Bliss was interested in, in mercy. He said, look, I will warrant that she will make a good housewife. That's what he said to himself because, yeah, according to the statement here, uh, it was taken by the fact that Mercy was never idle. She was always busy at doing something. That I warrant that I should be a good wife. So what eventually made Mr. Brisk no longer interested in Mercy? That's the first question. What eventually made Mr. Brisk no longer interested in Mercy? And second, what do you think this portion of the text symbolizes? What do you think is what is actually talking of? We know it's not talking about about uh, the relationship between a man and a woman, really. That's what it says. But what is the deep symbolism uh, behind it? In fact, we can look at three questions and you can choose to answer any any one of them. What what made Mr. Brisk to stop uh, wanting to gain the affection of mercy? Second, how did mercy discover Mr. Brisk's real intentions? And third, what do you think John Boyan is really talking about here? 
This is a book of allegory. Uh, what is he warning us about? What is he warning us about? Anyone, if you're at gospelbestway.com, please join us on, on, on WhatsApp. And let's have your suggestions to answer. Three questions. You can choose to answer any one of them. Uh, what made Mr. Brisk stop being interested in mercy? How did Mercy discover uh, the true intentions and nature of Mr. Brisk? And what do you think this is really say, uh, talking about? So to go ahead, yeah. Yes, let me give it a try. Okay. Um, well, I would like to say that um, Mr. Brisk, just like um, we try to identify his um, personality, mm. he, he must have found out that um, Mercy was in, um, engaged with um, things that had to do with um, the things of God. Yes. And he being one that is not religious, he would have felt, oh no, um, he cannot be with mercy. Mm. That there will be complications, just like we mentioned earlier. Yes. He doesn't want any complication. He wanted mercy all to himself. Mm-hmm. He was not ready to share her with um, with God. With God, exactly. Mercy was heavenly minded, mm-hmm. and he felt that mercy would not be able to concentrate on him. Exactly. So that must have been one of the reasons he just felt like, oh, please let her just go. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want any trouble. For myself, myself. You yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was one of the reasons, or the major reasons. The major reason, left. yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Then, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Um, the other question again, please. Yeah, the, 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 the other question number one: uh, How did Mercy discover Mr. Brace's true intention? Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, Matthew was able to discover his real intentions because he asked questions about him. Good. Yeah. And from what people told her about him, she also was able to realize that, you know, this one is going to draw me back. It's going to, it's going to, um, take me away mm-hmm. from my focus. Exactly. So, decided that, you know, she wasn't going to, have anything to do with you. Exactly. Thank you very much. And, and the third one, what do you think this is really saying to us? Especially those of us who are not women. And of course, women who are many people here are married. Uh, so it's not really talking to us about Cetus. What is it really talking to us about? Yeah, he's telling us to know who we are. Mm-hmm. We should, um, you know, know the people that we associate ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Like the Bible told us that we should not be unequally used to some believers. Yes. And um, from the interrogation, Mr. Bish had with a message. We see that he was trying to find out why he was doing those things. I mean, so in, well, like you said, that who, who, who wears those things, who pays that, and who stuff pays like exactly, that. Yeah. Can you remember the, the, the Bible passage? I can't say it's verbatim, but I know that. The the Bible implores us that if anyone asks us about our faith, we should, you know, be able to say yes. something. Yes. Uh-huh. So that's just what I had to take away from that part. 
exactly always be prepared to give an answer that was uh, peter first peter 3:15 always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope uh, that you have and and to thank you i think you've done uh, a good job to to analyzing that uh, mercy had that suit uh, and the way she discovered about him was that uh, when that person came to her making the offer to her she did not uh, keep it to herself she asked around he asked other believers now remember that the palace beautiful is symbolic of the church of the fellowship of believers so she was not sure of something and she asked and there is that there is wisdom in that wisdom in asking people who are, are more knowledgeable than us who are more experienced uh or even if they're not more experienced who are equally experienced but people who also understand the bible people who also fellowship with the holy spirit when we have questions, there is uh, there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. Uh, that's what Proverbs says. That look, when you uh, when you seek counsel from different people, you are going to find wisdom. But when you want to go it on your own, uh, you may make errors because that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks as well uh, in sending counselors to us. And mercy put herself made herself available to these counselors and they were able to advise her properly because they knew Mr. Brisk uh, before now. Uh, before now, And of course, you're also right. One of the things that made Mr. Briggs no longer interested in mercy was that he found that, oh, this one is so preoccupied with pleasing God, preoccupied with, with doing God's work. He himself was professing religion. Uh, but uh, you find people like that, would they say, well, I'm a Christian as well, but look, your own is just so confusing. You're too gung-ho about these things. You're too sold on. The, why, are you, why are you always interested in God? Must we must you bring God into every discussion? Must we pray about any everything? Uh, must you bring up the Bible every time? And you wonder, like, but you are a Christian as well. You have been saved as well. Should it offend you? Should it offend you that I bring scriptural points of view every time? Should it offend you that I want us to pray about everything? Should it offend you that I judge everything by whether God would accept it or not? And that's the kind of person that Mr. Brisk was. He was confessing to be a religious person, but would not want to actually be with the, with the person truly, with a, with a true believer. And Mercy found that, look, look, I've been advised, I've been admonished not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I also think that if we ask what uh, this really symbolizes, it will, it will symbolize to us all the different offers that come to us as Christians either uh, in form of a suitor going to an unmarried lady or even an unmarried uh, an unmarried young man or every any other offer that comes along the way in this world i mean think about the think about the vanity fair think about vanity fair when we read of vanity fair in pilgrim's progress part one he said in vanity fair they had all sorts of things on offer and i think that is the context from which we must view mr brisk that in the in the pilgrimage in our pilgrimage there will be so many offers made to us so many offers we need to have a means a framework uh, for evaluating these offers a framework for evaluating them one of the frameworks used there is to seek the counsel of others that's what uh, that's what uh, what mercy did she, she sought the counsel of others we also we do well uh, by seeking counsel from godly people from christian people of course the best counsel we can ever seek is to is to look at the word of god 
look at the word of God and we are going to be led by the word of God. Uh, the, in Proverbs again, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him, lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him. So when we don't lean on our own understanding, uh, then we, we, we are not going to make errors. So uh, this is symbolic of the many offers that will be made to us, maybe uh, in our businesses, in our careers, in terms of friends. Some friends will come to us, different relationships in this world. People just come to us and say, look, let's go to this. And you, and you look at the person, this person is a Christian as well, and he wants us to do this or she wants us to do this. Maybe it's a business, maybe just a friendship, maybe just a club. They want you to join a club, they want to join the society. And all sorts of offers, we cannot, we cannot itemize all of them, but whatever invitation we receive in this world, and, and, that, and that's what this is talking about, invitations to do things in this world, invitations to join a society, invitations to join any effort, uh, to join this group, or to do this, to go to this place, let's go to this place, what are we going to do there? What, what, let's go and join this society, let's join this club, or let's do this, let's do that. And we must have a framework by which we evaluate all these things. You must see counsel of those who know, counsel of those who know the people who are inviting us and then we must make it clear and I love the way that mercy did not hide our true identity and I think somebody has said this they said this in one of our classes that as long as you let people know who you are what you stand for, you find that although they may bring some ungodly offers they won't stay long They won't stay, when they bring these ungodly offers they will quickly go away when they know that oh this is this person's stance and I don't and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I pray God will continue to reveal His word even to us more and grant us the grace, you know, to to resist all these ungodly offers when they are made to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew four six. We are on page fifteen now. Matthew four six. Matthew, one of Christiana's boys, in this text four six. What led to this illness? Let's let's read that. Now, Mr. MC, you said page 15? Ah, yes, sir. Okay, good. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Matthew falls sick. Now, Matthew, the eldest son of Christiana, fell sick, and his sickness was very severe, for he had much pain in his bowels, so that he was at times bent over. There lived not far from there one Mr. Skill, an ancient and well-approved physician. So Christiana asked him to come, and he entered the room and observed the boy. He concluded that he was sick of the grapes. Skill. Then he said to his mother, what has Matthew been eating lately? Christiana, diet. Nothing but what his wholesome food. Physician, this boy has been tampering with something that is lying in his stomach, undigested. And that will not go away without medicine. And I tell you, he must be purged or else he will die. Samuel. Mother, what was it that my brother gathered up and ate as soon as we were come from the gate that is at the head of his, of this way? You know that there was an orchard on the left hand, on the other side of the wall, and some of the trees hung over the wall, and my brother picked some fruit and ate it. Christiana, true, my child, he did take it and eat it, not a boy. That he is. I reproved him, and yet he still ate it. Mr. Skill, I knew he had eaten something that was not wholesome, and that fruit is the most harmful of all. 
It is fruit from Beelzebub's orchard. I marvel that no one warned you about it. Many have died because of it. Then Christiana began to cry, and she said, Christiana, oh naughty boy, and oh careless mother, what shall I do for my son? Mr. Skill, come, do not be too downhearted. The boy may do well again, but he must purge and vomit. Christiana, please, sir, try the utmost of your skill with him, whatever it costs. Mr. Skill, no, I hope I shall be reasonable. So he made him a porch, but it was too weak. It was said that it was made of the blood of a goat, the ashes of a, of a heifer, and some of the juice of hyssop. Hebrew 9, 13, 19, 10, 1 to 4. When Mrs. Kill had seen that that porch was too weak, he made one fit for the purpose. It was made excan and sagrin Christi from the body and blood of Christ, as in 1 John 6, 54 to 57, and Hebrew 9, 14. You know that physicians give strange medicines to their patients, and it was made into pills, a promise or two, and a proportionate quantity of salt. This is Malachi, Malachi 9, 49. Now he was to take them three at a time, fasting in half a quarter of a pint of tears of repentance, Zechariah 12, 10. When this portion was prepared and brought to the boy, he was averse to take it, though torn with the gripes as he should be pulled in pieces. Mr. Skill, come, come, you must take it. Matthew, it goes against my stomach, said the boy. I must make you take it, said his mother. I shall vomit it up again, said the boy. Christiana, please, sir, how does it taste? Mr. Skill, it has no bad taste, said the doctor. And with that, Christiana tasted the pills with the tip of her tongue. Christiana, oh, Matthew, this portion is sweeter than honey. If you love your mother, you love your brothers. If you love mercy, if you love your life, Take it. So with much ado, after a short prayer for the blessing of God on it, he took it and it walked kindly with him. It caused him to purge. It caused him to sleep and then rest quietly. It put him into a fine heat and breathing sweat and quite rid him of the, these grapes. So in a little time, he got up and walked about with his stick and went from room to room to talk with prudence, pity, and charity about his illness and how he was healed by the flesh and blood of Christ. After the boy was healed, Christiana asked Mr. Skill, saying, Christiana, sir, what will content you for your pains and care for my child? Mr. Skill, you must pay the master of the College of Physicians, Hebrew 13, 11 to 15, according to rules made in such cases. Christiana, but sir, what is this pill good for? Else, Mr. Skill, it is, it is a universal pill. It is good against all the diseases that pilgrims are prone to. And when it is well prepared, it will do you good time after time. Christiana, please sir, make me up 12 boxes of them 
for I can get this. I will never take any other medicine. Mr. Skill, these pills are good for preventing diseases as well as acting as a cure when one is sick. Yet I dare say, and I stand by this, that if anyone will use this medicine as a shield, it will make him live forever. John 6, 51. But good Christiana, you must give these pills no other way but as I have, as I prescribe them. For if you don't, they will do no good. So he gave to Christiana enough medicine for herself and her boys. For mercy, and told Matthew not to eat any more green plums. He then kissed them and went his way. I told you before that Prudence bid the boys that if at any time they wanted to ask her some questions that might be profitable, she will send something to them. Then Matthew, who had been sick, asked her, Matthew, why for the most part do medicine tend to be bitter to our palates? Prudence, to show how unwelcome the word of God and its effect is to a carnal heart. Matthew, why does medicine, if it is to do good, purge and cause to vomit? Prudence, to show that the word, when it works effectively, cleanses the heart and mind. For look, what the one does to the body, the other does to the soul. Matthew, what should we learn by saying the flames of our fire go upwards and by saying the beams and sweet influences of the sun come downwards? Prudence, by the going up of the fire, we are taught to ascend to heaven by a fervent and hot desire. And by the sun sending its heat, beams and sweet influences downwards, we are taught that the savior of the world, though high, reaches down with his grace and love to us below. Matthew, where did the clouds get their water? Prudence, from the sea. Matthew, what do we learn from that? Prudence, that ministers shall fetch their doctrine from God. Matthew, why do they empty themselves upon the earth? Prudence, to show that ministers shall give out what they know of God to the world. Matthew, why is the rainbow caused by the sun? Prudent, to show that the covenant of God's grace is confirmed to us in Christ. Matthew, why do the springs come from the sea to us through the earth? Prudence, to show that the grace of God comes to us through the body of Christ. Matthew, why do some of the springs rise at the top of high hills? Prudence, to show that the spirit of grace will spring up in some that are great and mighty, as well as in many that are poor and lowly. Matthew, why does the fire fasten upon the candle wick? Prudence, to show that unless grace is kindled in the heart, there will be no true light of life in us. Matthew, why do the weak and tallow and all maintain the light of the candle? Prudence, to show that body and soul and everything should be for the service of God and that we should spend ourselves in maintaining in, maintaining in good condition that grace of God which is in us. That grace of God which is in us. Matthew, why does the pelican pierce our own breast with, the, with her bill 
prudence, to nourish her young ones with her blood. And this shows that Christ, the blessed, be so loves his young, his people, that he saves them from death by his blood. Matthew, what may one learn by hearing the cock crow? Prudence, think of Peter's sin and Peter's repentance. The cock's crowing shows also that day is coming on. Let then the crowing of the cock put you in mind of that last and terrible day of judgment. Now, about this time, their month was up. Wherefore, they signify to those of the house that it was time for them to up and be going. Thank you very much. And uh, very interesting read there. Uh, this is something that we could have broken into two parts. The first part about Matthew's sickness and then all the metaphors and all the uh, all the symbolisms from from prudence's relationship with, with Matthew. But first, let's relate with the part of Matthew's illness. Matthew's illness. Uh, what does this tell us? I do not know whether we all were around when we read uh, the portion of this text. When they left the narrow gate, when they left the narrow gate, remember that there was an orchard close to the narrow gate where that big dog was barking, trying to scare the pilgrims away. And when they left and were on their way, uh, Matthew took a fruit and ate it. And very briefly, we engaged with it at that time. And, and his mother warned him then. He said, look, uh, Matthew... Uh, the fruit does not belong to us. Why would you be eating? And he kept eating it. And of course, he, he ate it. And after a long while, this illness fasting to him, gripes, meaning something to do with his intestines. At the beginning of this portion of the text, he said he was bent over. Uh, that was how seriously uh, he was affected by the fruit he ate. I mean, what, what do you think we can learn from this? I mean, from, from this, the fruit that Matthew ate, remember that when he ate those fruits, uh, it did not do anything to him at that time. Since then, uh, they had traveled through, uh, they, had, they had been to the interpreter's house. You know, since, since he ate the fruit, they had been to the interpreter's house. They had got, they had got the position of the cross. Uh, they, had, uh, they had met other people on the way. They had climbed the hill difficulty. Why did it take that long uh, for the fruit to have that harmful effect on him? Anyone? Why did it take that, that long? And why was it uh, that the first medicine given by Mr. Skill did not work. Why was it that it did not work? And why did it take that long for uh, for that sickness to fasten on him, notwithstanding that he, he, had, he had eaten that fruit a long time ago? And of course, what does that fruit, sim- what does it symbolize? Remember, of course, that he ate the fruit, the fruit coming from the orchard of Beelzebub, uh, from Satan's orchard. Again, if you recall what you just said earlier on, talking about what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is because God dwells there. God is there. What makes hell hell? Because that is where sin and death and Satan dwell. And sin is there. And of course, uh, Matthew ate something from Beelzebub's orchard, meaning that he, he did something sinful. Uh, that fruit uh, was was uh, symbolic of sin. Uh, this, the same fruit that that uh, Eve ate and gave to Adam, that Adam and Eve 
Uh, we have this. Thank you very much. I have to say in the chat room, the fruit symbolizes sin. And that's so true. It symbolizes sin. Then why did it take so long for the consequence of the sin to show up in Matthew's life? And, you know, here again, we have an indication into how uh, spiritual things work. Although he had that fruit a long time, uh, the the consequences did not immediately show. Did not immediately show. I mean, and what this tells us is that until sin is purged, until it is purged, until it is confessed, and until we repent of it, until it is washed away, it will be there. It will be there. So, although Matthew was carrying on all the while, he had sin in him. He had unconfessed sin in him, and eventually he showed up and bent him over. If you read the first, it bent him over. He could not even move any further. Uh, the first portion did not work because it was made of what? It was made of gold, the blood of goods and that. And if you read all the portions, especially from Hebrews, you find the writer of the Hebrews making the point that look, all the blood of goods and lambs uh, are not capable of of washing away sin. As time say, thank you. I see what you have written in the chat. We say sin is sweet, and the consequences are usually delayed. Exactly, and that's one lesson from this portion. Sin is sweet. That that fruit was sweet. It must have looked beautiful as well. It must have looked beautiful as well because when you know to have seen you know fruits falling from the orchard and looking so beautiful, you want to just touch it, and and that's it. That's it. And you know that's the danger we all run. And thank God for the Holy Spirit that counsels or the Holy Spirit that uh, that cautions us. That conscious us every time because sin is always alluring, always beautiful, always fascinating. You want to touch it, you want to experience it. It pleases the eye, it pleases the body, it pleases every of our every of our earthly organs. But it is sweet, but the consequences are usually delayed, and that is why people describe sin rightly as insidious, something that is harmful, but it proceeds gradually. And in an in an unharmful way, it's it's harmful, but it proceeds gradually and in an unharmful way, and that's exactly the lesson we are being taught here. And then that portion, the first portion, was not effective because no other no other portion, no other thing can wash away the guilt of sin. Uh, the guilt of sin, uh, you know that hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, that, and that's one of the lessons we have here. And you know, in the world we live in today, there are many people who would say that, oh, sin. Uh, what you just need to do is to... Maybe just to take hold of yourself and just forget about it. Or maybe speak to a therapist. You know, people say that if you have done something bad, and, and, and now we live in the age of therapy. In the age of therapy, people will say, just speak to a therapist and you'll be fine. Maybe just find a counselor to speak to and you'll be fine. Or some people say, just make restitution and you'll be fine. Just make restitution or just do charitable deeds. Maybe you have defrauded somebody or maybe somebody who has done some ritual killing or some other thing. Just make restitution or maybe you have dealt badly with a particular person they would just begin to deal well with that person give that person gifts the world will always try to find other ways to atone for sins to make it up talk to a therapist do this uh, make restitution uh, talk to this person or start doing charitable work but nothing can wash away sin what can wash away my sin that in writer wrote nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus Nothing for sin, nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
not the good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I think one of the lessons here is that there is no salvation anywhere. There is no cure for sin except the blood of Jesus. When this thing was made, it was made by who? It was made by that physician. He made it from the blood of goats. He made it from Aesop, yet he did not wash away that sin. Simpson, go ahead. Yes, I would like to add again that, you know, a lot of times people think that good works equates salvation. And I can remember, I can just quote it, that you must declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Savior. Yes. Christ must be declared. The only one that can wash our sins is Jesus Christ. No exactly. good works. Exactly. So many times people equate good works to salvation. That's at least when she said that I'm doing good. I'm so doing good, yeah. I, I deserve, you know. Yeah, so we need to understand that. And that is what, I'm not trying to um, um, come against any religion here, but I know the Muslims, they do a lot of good works. Absolutely. There's a place for good works. Yeah. And there's a place for salvation. Mm -hmm. We must declare with our mouths that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. And then good works will follow because we are trying to be like Christ. And then good works follows. But it is not good works first and Christ. It is Christ first, then good works will follow. Exactly, exactly. Christ first and then good works before. It is Christ that actually enables us to go, to do good works, to do good, real good works. Uh, because other works, they are done, they may appear good, but you see, the motives are always wrong. But when it is Christ that enables us to do the good work, then that is the one that is acceptable before God. And I love that you emphasize that the uh, for us, there is a place for good works. But there must be salvation as well. In Revelation 20:12, he said, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Not one book, books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. So there's a book where deeds are recorded. And then there will be another book, the book of life, where the names of those who have confessed Christ are written. So the Christian is called first to come into life. When Jesus said to those disciples, said, Rejoice that your name has been written in the book of life. And then those whose names have been written in the book of life are now expected to do good works. It is not the good works that we save. And I love the emphasis coming here, that although that physician made uh, a, a medicinal portion from the blood of goats made one from Aesop. And when you be aware of Aesop, you must be thinking of Psalm 51, where the psalmist prayed, say, Oh, wash me with Aesop and I'll be clean. And I'll be clean. But in this case, it was not effective at all. Nothing can wash away sin except the blood of Jesus. Not good works. And again, as I said earlier on, we live in an age where people say, look, once you are doing good works, and as you rightly said, many Muslims uh, Muslims are persuaded by that. They believe that it is the works you do that will count in heaven. Those works count in a way, but they will not take, they will not, uh, they will not admit you into heaven they cannot even cure sin so people just try to cure their conscience they attempt to cure their conscience by doing good works uh, by talking to a therapist uh, by making even restitution there's a place for restitution but restitution in itself is not the cure for sin the cure for sin is the blood of jesus christ and the only way to take hold of the blood of jesus as a cure for sin is in first john if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, we have to confess the sin, we have to repent of it, and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And thankfully, uh, Matthew's brother 
called to mind what Matthew did, and uh, he confessed, and then he took that he took that portion. Uh, you see that Latin expression that it was made ex can a sanguine Christi, that it was made from the body and the blood of Christ. That is the only thing that kills. That is the only thing that kills. That kills sin. And no other thing. And we must be bold about declaring that to the world. If you are a sinner, the only cure for sin is the blood of Jesus. Any other thing will not cure it. It may just deaden the, the noise of sin. It may just deaden or quieten uh, the noise of our conscience. But it will never, ever uh, cure sin. It will never cure sin in our lives. And that's something that uh, we must be glad that we have access. We have unfettered access to the... Uh, to Calvary, to that fount where the blood of Jesus, uh, where, where that blood flows. And Mr. Skill also mentioned that, look, this portion, you know, when 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 Christina demanded for uh, many portions of the of the medicine, when she said, look, let us have many portions that can carry it with us on the way, Mr. Skill said, you have to be sure, you have to be uh, careful that the portion is prepared as prescribed, as prescribed, and you don't add any other thing to it, any other aside from the flesh and the blood of Jesus. I think this is important for us uh, to to pay attention to number one that Matthew ate that fruit, uh, that that fruit is always uh, always sweet, always beautiful from afar. And so you said something earlier in the chat. We said sin is sweet. And the consequences are usually delayed. And I love what Grandma S. Thank you very much, Grandma, for joining us tonight, as always. Uh, she has sent her on WhatsApp, James 1, 14 to 15. And that's the same thing that happened to Matthew in this story. It says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And we can see... How James 1, 14 to 15, how it played out in this text. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So in this case, Matthew was drawn away by his own desire to eat something, to touch something sweet. He saw a sweet fruit coming from the from the orchard of the enemy, but it, and he was enticed by it. He, he desired that goof, he was enticed by it, and then it took time. Just in the same way, in this case, Matthew ate it long ago. They traveled to the cross. They traveled to uh, the house of the interpreter. They traveled to the ill difficulty. They traveled all the way to the arbor before he started seeing the consequences of sin. And in James 1, 14, it says, Then when, when desire is conceived, it gives back to sin. Can you see the time it takes? And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death in the case of matthew thanks to god uh, he did not get to the to the point of death but he could have been killed he could have been killed by that disease uh thank god that there was mr skill there who prescribed the right medicine mr skill himself first prescribed the blood of goats uh, but then he was led to prescribe the body and the blood of our lord and that was what saved the day uh, quite uh, a detailed ch- chapter we have been reading, and we are not going to conclude this chapter today. Uh, I'm very hopefully we are going to discuss all the discussions that Prudence had with Matthew, uh, all the symbolism, symbolism about the sea, about uh, about those other things, and they are very interesting because I don't want us to rush over them. I want us to look at each of them because they give us an insight on how we can present the gospel message from what Prudence and Matthew discuss. We find that. 
if we pay attention, if we look at things, the cock crowing, if we look at uh, the cloud, water from the cloud, we find that uh, behind everything, we can actually see uh, messages from God. We can actually see symbolisms that we can use to explain the gospel message to the world. So I thank you all for joining us tonight. We always try not to make this uh, beyond uh, 9.30. We are at 9.32 now. So apologies for that. But this has been a refreshing time, if you agree with me. Uh, quite a refreshing one. And we are going to continue from here next week uh, by the grace of God. Please, if you remember that on December 1 at 8 p.m., we'll be here on Gospel Best Radio to welcome the season, uh, the season where Christians are called to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Stop being a joining us a bit late today. If you are available, we ask you to say the closing prayer. But let's sing together now. A who would valiant be against all disasters. Let him in constancy follow uh, follow the master as we bring this class to a close. And thanks to you, Tutu and Sister MC, for staying with us tonight. That's the grace we pray for, the grace to labor night and day to be pilgrims. Thank you once again. God bless you all. Sister B, are you okay, good? Go ahead, man. Yeah. Our Father and our God, we thank you thank for you yet Lord. another evening. Thank you, Lord. Reading the book we gathered to read. We thank you for the expositions 
that have been drawn out from it. Thank you, grateful. Lord. Father, we pray that next week will be, or oh, this week, <laughs> week yes. ahead will be good for every one of us. Amen. Amen. Pray that you will reward Gospel Bells, Radios, Handsomely for all that they've done. Amen. Even in the course of the year, and Amen. you will crown the year with bounties in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And for each and every one of us, you will continue with us on our pilgrimage. Amen. And at the end of the day, just as we are reading, we too will make it even to heaven with Amen. you in Amen. the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for every member of this community. Thank you, Lord. Please continue to meet everyone at the point of their needs and Amen. let your name be glorified. Amen. In our lives. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank Amen. you, Father, for our prayers. Thank you, Lord. We have prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you also very much. God bless you. Really good. Wishing you a lovely week ahead. A blessed week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. More about Jesus. Let me learn. More of his holy will descend, more of his kingdom show increase, more of his coming prince of peace, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus in this world. Hold the communion with my Lord. Hearing his voice in every line. Making each faithful saying mine. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of His saving fullness. More of His love who died for me. More about Jesus on his throne, riches in glory all his own. 
More of his kingdom sure increase. More of his coming, Prince of Peace. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness. More of his love who died for me. Amen. Thank you, Mark, for singing along. God bless you. <laughs> Good night. Good night. You are listening to GospelBellsRadio.com, the Christian internet radio with a mission to engage the culture with the mind of Christ. Keep listening and invite others, too. God bless you. Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ. 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 Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ.